You're listening to a Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th annual Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by David Heffernan from University College Cork, entitled The Great Miser, Richard Boyle, First Earl of Cork and the Grand Tour of Lewis and Roger Boyle. The Great Miser. So this isn't going to be a particularly flattering portrait of Richard Boyle here today. Um, Having studied him for a number of years, I've concluded that he didn't exactly have too many redeeming qualities, but he was a very, very exceptional individual in terms of actually his dynastic creation and his ability to create wealth. So what this is about is basically... Um, a, a very, very early version of the Grand Tour, which he sent all five of his sons on. Um, Richard, to begin with, in um, the a few years before Lewis and Roger on his own. His was a very short one. It only lasted for about a year and a half. This lasted for three years for reasons which I'll go into. It wasn't meant to last this long. And then right at the end of this, as soon as they had come back, uh, the two younger sons, so uh, Francis and Robert, which Michael has mentioned in terms of his reputation as the father of modern chemistry, left on in 1540. So much of this is based on what is kind of relatively new evidence, even though I think this letter book, you've looked at it in your book as well, in terms of the the first time that myself and David Edwards went over to Chatsworth years ago, this wasn't available there. And a couple of years later, it had mysteriously been kind of found um, at Chatsworth. And this letter book is one of two letter books that Boyle has from 1629 up to the early 1640s. The first one deals with the four years of his period as Lord Justice. The second one deals with from 1634 up to 1641. Now, there's about, this is a sample from it, obviously, um, about 400 plus uh, pages to it and about 250 letters. Um, Roughly 20 of them deal with this grand tour of Lewis and Roger being on the continent between the spring of 1636 and the spring of 1639. Now, those letters come from uh, the Earl writing to Lewis and Roger, primarily Lewis because he was older, Um, William Perkins, who was basically a contact in London who used to send money over to the continent, um, to the individual who was their chaperone and their tutor for the three years, Monsieur... Isaac Marcombs. Okay, so Marcombs, Patrick Little has actually written about this before, um, a good few years ago in terms of his biography of Roger Boyle. Marcombs was a French Huguenot who had contacts 
specifically in Geneva, and that was kind of part of the reason why he was selected to be the individual, and he also taught that he was of sound religion, which I've never really kind of bought from the point of view of that, like having studied like, you know, the Earl for, for several years and all of the various things that goes on in his correspondence, I've never bought the idea that he was some sort of committed Puritan. There's, there really wasn't much religious commitment at all to Richard Boyle. Money was his religion. So, who are the people that were actually involved in this grand tour? So first off, we have Lewis Boyle, who was the Earl's second eldest son. So he had five surviving sons. Uh, there was a son earlier on who actually died. He was his first son, was also Richard. Lewis was the second of the eldest surviving sons. Uh, so he was born in 1619, had been made Viscount Kinelmeekie in 1628. And then Roger was the third eldest son, born two years after Lewis. And he also became Baron Broghill in 1628. This occurred at a time where Charles I needed a lot of money. And the Earl was very willing, willing to help him out as long as he gave several of his children noble titles that had never existed before. So I think he bought, um, say, the Viscount Kimmelmeekie title was bought for £1,000, which wasn't exactly a, a small chunk of change in 1628. So on top of this, there was, as I've mentioned, Mark Holmes, who was a French Huguenot, um, he was both the boys' tutor and their chaperone, basically. And there were some unnamed servants, probably around three or four of them, from the general gist of the letters, but it's not entirely too clear. And then the other major individual who was involved in the tour was Boyle Smith. So Boyle Smith was the Earl's nephew. And he was the son of Mary Boyle, uh, the Earl's sister, and Sir Richard Smith of Ballinatra. So Ballinatra was located within the, uh, the core part of the Boyle estate in West Waterford, East Cork, which basically was bought from Sir Walter Raleigh at a very knockdown price in 1602 because Raleigh was in trouble and Boyle very helpfully decided to fleece him for the estate at that time. So, and after 1602, there was lots of members of the extended Boyle family and indeed the Naylor family, which was his mother's extended family, arrived over from England. And they occupied religious and various civic positions within South Munster um, throughout the first half of the 17th century. Now, Boyle Smith arrived over. He didn't actually leave with them in 1636. He was sent to Geneva in 1637 with basically um, a bag of money because Boyle didn't, um, he didn't give Mark Holmes all of the money that would be needed for the Grand Tour. He released it in increments because he didn't want to be giving him all of it, that he might spend it recklessly um, at the very get-go. So, in terms of just the broad um, itinerary of where they went, I was going to try and put this on a map, but 
I'm not that good at maps. So they left uh, Dublin in February 1636, um, headed over to London. First off, uh, Boyle at that stage, the Earl was basing himself largely out of London or else in the English West Country down where he had bought the Stalbridge estate down in the West Country. So uh, he had a residence on the former site of the Savoy Hospital in London by the late 1630s. Uh, there they met with Mark Holmes. A couple of weeks later, they headed off for, for France, headed to Dieppe, then to Paris. Uh, didn't really spend long in France. Their main destination to begin with was to Geneva. So the idea of reaching Geneva was that they were meant to spend about six months there, where Mark Holmes had contacts within the religious community of Geneva, being the kind of puritanical centre of religion in Europe at the time. Uh, they were only meant to spend about four to six months there, but they ended up spending an awful lot longer because Mark Holmes had to leave all of a sudden to go to Paris, basically for a shotgun wedding. Um, somebody that he had obviously been seeing had become pregnant and he had to leave to go to Paris. So this was an early modern shotgun wedding. The Earl was not happy about this when he learned what had happened. And they ended up staying there as a result for nearly a year and a half because by the time that he actually managed to make it back to Geneva, the Earl wrote to him and said, I don't want you going to Italy during the summer because there is an increased um, possibility of diseases that are more prevalent during the, the Italian summer. So he said to wait until Michaelmas 1637. Um, so by that point, they had spent over a year in Geneva. Uh, it got more complicated again afterwards because when they tried to descend from Geneva into the plain of Lombardy um, in late September, early October 1637. Uh, there was disease after breaking out in the Swiss cantons and there was a, a form of early modern quarantine basically occurring. They were going to have to wait six weeks before they could, could come down through the St. Bernard Pass. Um, kind of has a modern resonance, I suppose. Mark Holmes decided he wasn't doing the quarantine. So they headed to France, to Lyon, and his plan at that stage had been to basically abandon the idea of going into Italy, but when they got to Lyon, they were told that within the context of the Thirty Years' War, that the conflict between France and Spain had diminished in northern Italy, so they could proceed through the Côte d'Azur, through Marseille, and then down into Genoa, which is exactly what they decided to do. But it got more complicated again, because when they got to Genoa on the 1st of December, uh, Louis Boyle ended up with smallpox. And then the party eventually started to get smallpox with uh, Boyle Smith and with Roger Boyle. Now, I'll go back to that in a minute in terms of um, what this grand tour reveals in terms of um, um, early modern medical history. 
but just in terms of the itinerary, what it meant was that they ended up staying in Genoa for a couple of months, and then they tried to proceed through Bologna over to Venice, which they did actually do. They met the English ambassador in Venice, then they headed down towards Florence, spent only a few days in Florence, but once they got to Florence, uh, Lewis Boyle was sick again. Uh, didn't know if they'd... It's not clear if it was some, some sort of residual um, impact of the smallpox or if it was something else. But at that stage, Mark Holmes decided to abandon the idea of going further south to Rome, which was the kind of the ultimate goal of the Grand Tour in the early modern period, was to go and visit Rome, that you would, you would see the, the might, I suppose, of like the remains of the Roman Empire. They'd been to Florence, they'd been to Venice. He decided, let's, uh, let's head back north from the point of view that they wanted to sail to Montpellier because Montpellier has the oldest medical schools in Europe at the time. Okay. So they sailed from Montpellier, got there in April 1638. Uh, when they got there, they met with one of the leading figures from the medical school at Montpellier who couldn't identify exactly what was actually wrong with Lewis, um, but basically suggested that the best thing that Mark Holmes could do was take them north as quickly as possible to basically get them out of the heat of the Mediterranean climate because it was assumed that that's what was causing a large part of the problem. So they headed north from Montpellier uh, to uh, Tours and then to uh, Saumur by May 1638. Now, they spent a couple of months in Saumur when they eventually reached there, studying under... But uh, Monsieur uh, Ranchin, sorry, he was the doctor... Um, uh, sorry, the Scottish professor Mark Duncan at, uh, at the Huguenot Academy at Samoor. Um, so they spent several months there, and then eventually they headed to Paris, where they met with you know, various members of the kind of English expat community within Paris. And then eventually they headed back to London um, and were there by the spring of 1639. So it was a three-year stint. It wasn't meant to be that long. A large part of it was to do with how long they ended up staying at Geneva. Um, and then various issues to do with the, the illnesses that actually struck them during the tour. So that's the broad itinerary of what happened over the three years. Now, I want to go through a few aspects of it, A, in terms of the smallpox, smallpox and then to get onto the Earl and what a nice chap he was. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the smallpox, as I say, Lewis was the first one to actually come down with it on the 1st of December, 1637, when they reached Genoa. Um, all makes sense in terms of the actual kind of incubation period of smallpox, and how it was passed on, basically, incrementally. Lewis got it. It seems that he gave it to, to Boyle Smith, who then became sick about two and a half weeks later. 
and then Roger fell ill about a week later. Um, Lewis, as far as I can tell from the, the wording of the documents, was relatively sick, and I think that he ended up quite badly scarred afterwards. There was definitely an indication of Mark Holmes was trying to buy um, uh, a kind of a balm that was you know, recommended in terms of that it would reduce the scarring, that it might not last. Um, so I suspect Lewis was possibly scarred afterwards, not just in the, in the interim, but for in perpetuity, although he didn't live much longer beyond that anyway. Um, Boyle Smith died probably sometime around New Year's Eve. Um, he was certainly alive on the 30th of December. And fair dues to, to Mark Holmes in terms of how much um, aggro he took from the Earl throughout the correspondence over the three years. He did actually um, attend to him um, in, in the last day or two of his illness, and it doesn't make for particularly pleasant reading in terms of the correspondence. He couldn't open his eyes. There were so many um, pockmarks, basically. Um, and Mark Holmes wasn't sure if he had ever actually had smallpox. So the physicians had said, don't go in. But he did. Um, Roger fell ill around the 24th. He recovered at some stage in January. Um, he appears to have had the lightest case of it. Um, he recovered quite quickly. So Boyle Smith did die. Um, and this gets us basically to the Earl and his attitude towards family and money and such. Okay. So basically, in terms of uh, the attitude towards Boyle Smith in the correspondence that's actually extant, um, there's parts of it where, like say, when he finds out that Boyle Smith has died, he actually kind of writes to William Perkins, who's the benefactor who is sending over the money, and um, he writes in the margin, my nephew Boyle Smith was very expensive, which, you know, doesn't really come across that well. Now, uh, this is about six months before the smallpox, actually, smallpox uh, issue. This is when they were in G Geneva, and he had people apparently actually spying on them in Geneva. Um, and he spends this large letter basically berating, this is to Lewis, um, about how they're dressing in Geneva and, you know, the fact that they're not comporting themselves in a way which is befitting of the sons of an earl. So, you and your, your brother live nastily and slovenly wearing very plain and decent clothes. That's the quote. But, here's the kicker. At the end of it, commend me to Boyle Smith, and so God keep you. Your sister Peggy is dead, all else here in health. So after basically a letter in which he, you know, he talks about, for literally a page and a half, about how they're dressing, this is the only statement that he actually makes about the fact that his daughter, Margaret, has just died. He doesn't explain to them how she had died or what had happened, just this. Um, and there are all sorts of elements of this throughout the correspondence between, um, 
between the Earl and both the two sons and Mark Holmes. He berates Mark Holmes the entire time. Everything is about money. He never asks anything about, say, uh, what they had possibly seen in Venice or what they might have seen in Florence. It's always just about how much money was actually being spent, what was um, occurring in terms of the, the various things like this. There's not an awful lot of room for emotion, which I think is kind of the main thing that, you, that I took away from looking at the letters is that you get the impression of an individual, A, who is a complete and utter micromanager in terms of, of money, but also somebody whose uh, preoccupation with dynasticism and with wealth creation left very little room for, for other emotions beyond that. So, this. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify.